Uh, open up your Bibles. We're at uh, Mark chapter 7, verse 24. And if you need a Bible, kind of wave down toward either end of your, uh, your aisle. And we are in the middle of, or the front end of a series through the book of Mark, because we want to know who this Jesus is that we are found deeply, who, who's supposed to dwell richly within us. And we're starting at chapter 7, verse 24 this morning. But before we jump into this, uh, men, I, I need a little bit of your help. And I want you to uh, kind of put on your men filters because there's ladies in the room. Kind of, so some of you are going, well, I don't know if I could do that because whatever comes out of your mouth, you just kind of, you think and you speak. In high school, I remember, you know, in high school, sometimes you're just dumb, you know. Sometimes as an almost 39-year-old man, I'm just dumb. I just don't think. I speak. And there's certain um, words with high school boys or college boys, men, sorry, college men and men that we, we kind of use to describe women that are not flattering at all. Not flattering at all. Not that any of you men would ever do this, but there's certain words that we use and we talk about women and we say, blah. And, and if all of a sudden there's a lady in the mix, they're just like, there's like the slap upside the face or the whole body language changes. You know what I'm talking about? Now, if there was an animal that is not, would not be flattering to a woman as a descriptor, what, what animals, men, would, would not be descriptor? flattering to any woman a dog a dog yeah you don't call a, as even if it's a poodle you know you know come here my little poodle it's your wife's gone or girlfriend's gone uh, not so much what what might be another one a cow yeah you know mm. yeah you are done you know there's there's like this awkwardness of okay my wife is gonna Say something to me. Don't you ever say those words to me. You know, so there's those awkward descriptors, those awkward phrases. Well, this, this week, as I am just pouring through uh, Scripture and what we're going to be saying, there's, there's something that's going on in this section of Scripture that even commentators go, I'm not, they're not sure that if this might, this might be a later addition. These might not be the actual words of Jesus because this doesn't sound like words that Jesus would ever say. They're not complimentary of a woman. So how in the world could Jesus ever say these words? So read along with me. And next week, maybe you can preach on stuff like this. Verse 24, 7 verse 24. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. Yet, he could not be hidden. But immediately, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now, the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, which really means a lot to you, doesn't it? Syrophoenician. Um, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. 
But she answered him, Yes, Lord. But even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Jesus called the woman a dog. That's not the Jesus I grew up knowing in Sunday school with the flannel grass. You know, the Jesus I knew kind of had the, the, the white flowing with a blue sash kind of thing going on and just let the little children come to me. Just very gentle. And You know, every once in a while he'd clean out the temple because that was his job. He was a little ticked off. But, you know, for Jesus had a really nice disposition to him. You know, he was very politically correct unless he was talking to other people. But this is a woman who is coming to him and with a, a real need. And not just a woman. It was a mother with a child that was demon-possessed. And Jesus says, mm, we're going to feed the kids first. We don't, we, don't give, we don't feed the dogs here. And you're going... Seriously, Jesus, a little bit of PC here would be nice. We don't do that. The Scriptures just record this, this thing, though, at the end of, of uh, Matthew 15's account, where he says, um, Woman, you have great faith. And, and that compliment for us, for Jesus, through this whole thing, just really warrants our need to really say, okay, he called her this, but yet, he says, you have great faith. And that for us as the church on this side of the cross, we need to really say, okay, so what is going on in this all? Charles Spurgeon, one of my uh, favorite dead guys, says this. Our Lord had a very quick eye for spying faith. And then he added this. The Lord Jesus was charmed with the fair jewel of this woman's faith. And watching it and delighting in it as he resolved to turn it around and set it in other lights. That the various facets of this priceless diamond might each one flash its brilliance and delight in his soul. Jesus held up this woman's faith to the light of his, even his strange silence and his strange rebuff and it was for our sake, for the church to see how beautiful her faith was. It was in this story, it's the faith of this woman that just delighted Jesus. It just delights Jesus. And, and that's something that we, I don't know if we always understand. Sometimes our childlike faith. We think it's just childlike faith. We're not like those, those spiritual super giants that have, you know, the Billy Grahams who just turned 90 this week. Man, if I could be like Billy Graham and have that kind of faith. But even Jesus says, man, this woman's faith, I delight in this. What great childlike faith you have. But we've got to understand what's going on. What is the whole context going on here? So, here's what's going on. 
Jesus just got done, as we, we saw in last week's sermon, where Jesus got done dealing with the Pharisees and saying, listen, you guys have all kinds of traditions, you've got all kinds of stuff, you've got all these rules that you put up because you want to stay clean. You don't want to get, you know, you've you, you got to wash your hands ceremoniously, you've got to do all these things, you've got to put all these laws up because you want to stay clean from all these external things. But in reality, what defiles a man is what is in his heart. For out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And he just comes up with this whole list of, of what is just filthy on the inside. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. And he, and he tells that early church, listen. It's not what goes into you that's necessarily evil. It's what, what is coming out. And by this, he, he said all things, all this food stuff, you're getting hung up on the wrong stuff. And so what does Jesus do? But he goes to an unclean place. A place where more than likely a good Jewish, a good Torah-knowing person would not go to this place because they would be showering for the next week or two, cleaning themselves. So Jesus was escaping from this clean little place and going to Tyre and Sidon, a region which is known for still being a pagan area. And Jesus goes from clean to dirty. He goes to, intentionally goes to this place. And while he was there, he comes face to face with, of all people, a woman. Not just any woman, but a Greek Hellenized woman. A woman who is, would by any Jewish standards be considered an unclean, a filthy person. So Jesus is up and leaving, going to a place, meeting face-to-face with a woman. And she was, according to Matthew, a Canaanite woman. And if you were a Jew during that time, or, you know, for us, we're going, okay, Canaanite, uh, that's like somebody from Indiana, right? But really, it's far more dirty than that. It, it's somebody, somebody who is, um, in the Old Testament, the children of Israel came into the promised land and they were supposed to exterminate all Canaanite people. So these were especially, these were more kind of Kentucky, a little, little further south, you know. I love Kentucky, just so you know. And, but but these, are, these are people, this is a person that Jesus said, you know what, not, not particularly beautiful in a Jewish eyes. And so, even in Jesus' day, there was a secular, there was a, a sect, a group of people that were kind of given the name the Bruised and Bleeding Pharisees. This is a group of people that, that really prided themselves of saying, you know what, we, we don't want to interact, we don't want to even see things that might taint us. And so what they would do is, whenever they saw a woman, they would cover their eyes. And because they covered their eyes, they would bump into whatever was in their way. And often, 
they would just be bleeding Pharisees. Their, their bruises were the pious marks that kind of gave them the pat on the back because they had good sexual ethics, they thought. And Jesus was dealing with this kind of a woman with eyes wide open. The barrier was great. And her need was great. There's something about a mom. If you ever hurt my daughter, you'll have to deal with me. But you don't want to deal with Laura. There's something about a mom that loves a child very differently. It's out of her flesh that she gives birth to a child. There's something very near and dear about a child to a mother. And this woman has at home a child who is demon-possessed. We could go into what that means. We have no clue right now what that means. All Scripture says is she was demon-possessed. And more likely she was tormented by this, this demon, this whatever it was. And she just said, listen, I don't, I've done everything I can. I've probably gone to all the Greek physicians. Maybe she's traveled the world and tried to figure all this stuff out. How can I do this? Maybe she's made sacrifices to these gods. And she's at the end of her rope. And maybe she, one day in the, in the market she hears about this man, this rabbi, this Jesus who speaks, who heals, who touches. And next week we get to see him touching just a simple man, and healing people. And she says, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the man. And she leaves her child behind. Wouldn't you think that as a mom, you would take the child? But maybe this child was just so, so tormented, so pained, so could not move, that she just says, I've just got to go, whatever I can. And she finds herself at the feet of Jesus who is trying to escape from people. And Scripture says that she is persistent. She has this persistent kind of faith. Verse 25 says this, But immediately a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. She was right there just saying, Listen, whatever I can do, I'm at your feet. You're the great one. I'm I'm just this woman. She knew about the culture and the differences. She knew how he he viewed her. She was at his feet. And then later on, it it goes on to kind of give this idea that she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Again, in in our English, limited English understanding here, it, it doesn't do true justice. This word begged has this idea of repeated so she begged, and she begged, and she begged, and she begged. In, in Matthew 15, it gives us, she, let me just real quick throw it out there. It says, um, she, she comes before uh, him and says, Have mercy on me, Lord, Son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer a word. He was silent. And the disciples came and begged him. Same, same word. And begged and begged and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. She won't leave us alone. 
this woman had a great need, came before a great man, a healer, with this persistent kind of faith, and just said, I know, I've heard about you. She believed that Jesus was her only hope, and only he could and would heal her daughter. She came in faith, and Jesus knew it. He knew her condition. He knew her. And what Jesus did is He drew out her remarkable faith. And we just see this persistence of Jesus drawing out her faith. And knowing the heart of Jesus as we do, His response is odd. The Gospel of Matthew says that He didn't answer her a word. It was an absolute indifferent silence. Now I want you to imagine if this would happen to you. You go, go to somebody that you think could deal with your deep pain, your problem, your issue, and, you, and you're, you're, you're in the begging mode and there's silence. Just an indifference to what's going on. Just total indifference. What would be going through your head? Because, you know, we, we can almost say that the opposite of love is not hatred, but it's indifference. Because indifference says, I really don't care about you to the point where I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to make eye contact. I'm just going to be quiet. I'm not even going to bother with throwing out hateful words. I'm just indifferent. And this is Jesus. He was stone cold. Luther said that now he is as silent as a stone. And I'll tell you what would be going through my mind at that moment. I'll tell you what my response would be. Screw you. I'm done. I come to you with this pain. I come to you with this burden. And you're silent? Forget it. I'm not going to continue this begging. I'm not going to continue me being on the floor just imploring you to do something. Forget it. I'll find somebody who really cares. I'll find somebody who will listen to me and act. I'll find somebody who's not indifferent. But actually, Jesus was not being indifferent at all. If you remember the storm on the, the Sea of Galilee, there was a reason behind his silence. In, uh, there's a book called The Silence of God. And it says this, When Jesus lay silent and asleep in the ship, he was no more kind and his arm no more near to help and more certain than the anxious cry of the doubting disciples suggests. Jesus' silence was a silence of love. And hopefully this silence would elevate her awareness of her own faith. And this, she was not silent. She was persistent. And she kept on going. She kept on pressing on. And finally, Jesus in Matthew says, listen, 
I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Again, a door shut. First silence, and now this. The poor woman didn't know it, but Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, the sustainer, was completely taken by her faith. Completely taken. And we can't see this in the text, but, you know, in my mind's eye, I want to imagine Jesus saying, listen, I've only come for, I've only come for the lost of Israel. I throw a wink at her. Because then he goes on in verse 27 and says this, let the children be fed first. Let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. The children is rever- re- uh, referring to the children of Israel, God's, God's special children. And he's saying, listen, it's not right for, for me to feed the dogs that are underneath the table with, with this special bread, with this special food. I've come to... I've come to minister to them. But she picked up on something. She, she was very perceptive. She picked up on it and she, she said, Listen, Jesus, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Have you ever been to somebody's house who has dogs? Who really love their dogs? Where they're almost um, people. You know who the kind of people I'm talking about? Maybe that's you guys here. Some of you here. Solomon. Yep, that's them. we got a support group. But it's like the dog, you know, it's like filet mignon, Fido, I love you. You know, it's like this slipping a little bit of food underneath the table. It's not just the leftovers. And she's saying, listen... But Jesus, I know how household dogs are. They still get the blessing from the table. She almost catches Jesus in his words and says, Have a Jesus. Even the dogs get some food. And Jesus goes, Yes. You've got it. You understand. And thank you for being persistent. Thank you for just keeping on pushing on. And this is what the deal is. The kingdom of heaven is for people like this. God's kingdom is for people who are persistent, who are willing to tire, just give all of their energy for the pursuit of spiritual things, for the pursuit of Jesus, who are willing to just chase after and just say, yes, but Jesus, even the dogs, even me, we, we get scraps. Can I have a scrap? Can I have just a taste of your goodness? Can you, I'm going to keep pursuing you. I'm going to keep chasing after you. Life is rough. I don't know what's going on with my kids. I don't know what's going on with my finances. I don't get what's this going on here. I don't get this. But Jesus, I'm going to pursue. I'm going to chase after. I'm going to keep on pushing and keep on pushing with all humility. I know who 
I am. And I don't deserve any of it. But I'm going to keep on pushing because I know that you are a good God and that you're generous. He shows her how much he cares because of her faith, her humility. But I think that we've got to be careful here because if we think that for a second that just because we're persistent, we're persistent that we earn Jesus Christ's ear and then we can earn His power, if we just say, I'm a believer and therefore I get this, and it's this whole name it, claim it, health, wealth thing, you miss it. Jesus could have said, you know what? I will not heal your daughter. I will not heal your daughter because out of this, I can receive even more glory by the end result. And some of us have that have this kind of persistent prayer. God, would you just do this? Come on, God. And we have those prayers in those dark times and those tough times. And we keep praying, come on, God. Come on, God. I want this. This would be best for me. And God's going, oh, 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 oh. hold on. I'm God. I know what is best for you. And you know what? Sometimes the best thing for you is not what you think is best for you. Sometimes it's a trial that you must go through. Sometimes it is a loss of job. Sometimes it's a long period of joblessness. Sometimes it is death. Where in the end, maybe in the middle of it we don't understand, and it's, it's painful, it's ugly, it's, it's, it's weary, and you start questioning who is God, but in the end, after it's all, also the perspective kicks in and you go, yes, God, you do know. So we've got to be careful not to say, if we're just persistent, if we keep on praying, if we'll get our way and God will cave in. Because that's not what this is about. We've got to understand, like this woman who identified herself as a dog, that she had no merit in her that could win Christ's help. She was a Gentile, not a child of the the nation of Israel. And the bottom line is, is she depended on Christ's goodness and not her own. It was all grace. His healing was all grace. King David understood this when he said in Psalm 51:17, "The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise." And even Jesus said, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who hunger." And thirst for righteousness. Well, they will be filled. That's what, that's what Jesus is looking for. A persistent, growing faith. That is dependent 
fully on Him. Waiting fully on Him. Maybe not the quick handout like we want, but really waiting on Him. And at the right time, He goes, here's my answer. Here's my answer. And here's the final thing. This woman's faith was great because she took Jesus at His word. She took Him at His word. Hebrews 11, uh, 6 says, And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and rewards those who seek Him. She believed that God is. That God is. Period. She believed in Christ. And that He is. And I wonder for us today, are, are we the same? No matter where you're at in your faith journey, if you're checking it out and you're, you're kind of going, eh, uh, Christianity, churchianity, bleh. or if you're you know, well into your, your faith journey, do we believe that God is? That Jesus Christ is? kind of funny to hear it like that, huh? Present tense, that God is. He's here. He's not just that God of the Bible. He's the God of the now. And He just desires us to, to still be persistent and to be coming after Him. And to be at His feet and just say, yes, God, but you know what? I just desire a crumb because you're good. Do we pursue Him? And the beauty in verse 29 is, it says, for this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your child. Her, her child was completely restored. She went home. By his word. She had no proof at that point. But by his word. He said, your, your child is healed. She took him at his word. And she went home and found her daughter. She's got great faith. The Syrophoenician woman came to Jesus on the other side of the cross. She came to Him before He was he is hanging, dying for our sins. Blood dripping. Paying for our sins. She was on that, that other side of the cross. She didn't have the ultimate revelation of Scripture. Of God's love. And power towards us. But we do. We're the, we're, we're the people of the Word who are to allow the Word of Christ to dwell richly within us. And it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. This woman, maybe like you, didn't have the advantage of growing up in a in a household of faith and having all the, the privileges of Sunday school, of church, of a community of faith, of small groups, of Beth Moore, of all these different things. But then maybe again, 
you do ha- have the, have that kind of an experience. But the thing, like her, no matter where we are in our journey, the word has come to you that Jesus Christ can meet your needs. He can heal your heart. What's required of us? For her, first required belief. The trusting in this God. Just hearing the word and believing. And they required a total kind of humiliation that we maybe just don't understand. A humility to come humbly before the Creator. That's why I love the prayers of the people. There's nothing that we can do. If, if, it, if it was just words that we're doing here, we're wasting our time. It's just a pastor flapping his lips. But we need to come humbly before God and just say, listen, I am not what you are. You're the creator of the universe. Believing, coming humbly as a child, as a dog. And just thirdly, just coming. Actually just coming to Him. We can believe and we can be humble, but how often do we actually come to Him? I mean, really, think about it. How often do we really come to Him and say, listen, I'm taking you at your word. You said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How often do we actually come to Him and take Him at His word and say, okay, Jesus, I'm coming to you, humbly. And I'm really, I'm coming to you. In the, the quietness of my, of my bedroom, I'm coming to you in the quietness of my work cubicle, as quiet as it could be. And I'm saying, Jesus, I believe, I'm humble, and I'm coming to you. And that's how we even come to this table. The communion table. Believing. That mysteriously, in, even in this shared meal that we have together, that we believe that around us in this time, Jesus is here. Dwelling in us, dwelling around us. That we must believe that He is here. That's why we talk about this, this, this meal is set aside for those who do believe in Jesus Christ. It's a shared meal for those who believe that He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And on top of that, that we come humbly. And that requires us to examine our hearts. Saying, I am a broken man. I'm a broken woman. I'm a broken dog. In need again of my Savior. And then thirdly, that we actually come. Knowing that as far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our sins from us. For some of you, you need to take some time. And I've I've done this before. I said, 
turn on your cell phone. Step out for a little bit. You might want to grab your coat. Maybe there's some people that you need to become humble with and say, hey, I've sinned against you. And I need to ask for your forgiveness before I can come and take communion. Some of you need to just take some time with God. And maybe even take a humble uh, position like she did at his feet. Maybe you need to find a spot here somewhere. Maybe it's just right here on the floor where you need to get on your knees and say, God, I'm coming to you, believing with great humility because I'm convicted of my sin. I'm coming. Will you forgive me? So this is a meal that we shared together. That Jesus shared on the night before he was crucified. Where he broke the bread, symbolizing his body. Saying, this is my body broken for you. And as this broken people, we come. Remembering that he makes us whole again. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup of blessing and he poured it out and said, listen, this is, uh, this cup is just wine. For us, it's just juice. This is the cup of the new covenant, of new life with me. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, do this in remembrance of me. Of the price that I've paid for you to be able to come before me. Those who are serving communion, would you come on up? We celebrate by means of intinction. basically means you take a piece of bread, the body of Christ broken for you, you take it to the cup, dip in, the blood of Christ poured out for you. Amen. Take the time that you need when you're ready. But come, for all things are ready.